Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Amen. Let's do this. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now, for those of you who watch entirely too much TV, where are you at? Come on. Don't be ashamed. All right. Let's pray for it right now. For those of you that watch entirely too much TV, um, welcome to season one, right? Uh, uh, Season one, episode two of an Inspire original. (laughs) Maybe not so original, uh, but Inspire original series, uh, we're calling uh, By Faith Alone, amen, through the book of Romans. Now, if you missed the pilot episode last week... you can go to our podcast at Inspire Churches. We go to our website at inspirechurches.com and find our podcast. But, you know, uh, previously, <laughs> just kidding, uh, now by, uh, just kind of by way of a recap before we jump into uh, um, today's show, let me just take a moment to kind of recap where we've been. Uh, as many of you know, last week we announced an epic sermon series in which we were going to spend 30 weeks in the book of Romans. And of course, it wasn't going to be 30 straight. We were going to have a, a first section and we're going to take a breather and then we're going to come back. But by The goal is by the end of June for us to have finished Romans together, and I'm just so excited about the book of Romans. And so just a little recap to kind of bring you into today. Uh, Last week, we started in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 6, and we basically introduced you to the author of this letter um, named Paul. Uh, But not only did we introduce you to the author, but then the author began to tell you a little bit about what his message was in the letter, which we discerned was the gospel of God. Amen. And so concerning Paul, we discovered that he identified himself as a slave. He said, I'm Paul. And he says, before he says anything else, he says, I'm Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. He says, called, called uh, to share a message that has radically changed my life. And then we learned concerning that message that that message we discovered was the gospel of God. And the way we broke that down last week is what is the gospel of God? Well, Paul, in his introduction, just basically put it like this. It's God's good news, God's good news promised beforehand about his son, Jesus Christ, and it's received by faith alone. And this really is Romans Uh, Romans is all about the gospel. Um, You're not going to get anything more than the gospel and going deeper into the gospel. It's Paul declaring the greatest message ever told in human history. And so for today, we're going to meet who this letter is for. And then we're going to break down what is the core key theme verse of the entire text. In fact, all of Romans will be an expansion of this one key verse. And then we'll finish. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Romans chapter 1. And again, we, last week we went 1 through 6. And so this morning I will go 7 through 15. I'm sorry, 7 through 17 this morning. Romans chapter 1. We'll start at verse 7. I may have a little feedback up here as I step back a little bit. Romans chapter 1, verse 7 through 17. What I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to read verse 7, and then you can stand still there for a moment. 
Now that we know who this letter is from, let's look at who it is for. Verse 7, Paul says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Lord Jesus Christ. To all those, going to read it again and then we'll pause. To all those in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's pause there for a second. Hidden, hidden in plain sight is a profound revelation regarding the core identity of the church in Rome. Now this is really key. What Paul says about them is true about every believer in the history of this earth, of this world. What Paul will say about the church of Rome is true about every believer and everyone who follows Christ. Paul gives them three truths every believer should never forget about themselves. Three truths every believer should never forget about themselves. Are you ready? You, your, or you've been loved. You've been called and you're being transformed. Three truths every believer should never forget that the enemy would love for you to not recognize about yourself. You have been loved, you have been called, and you are being transformed. Now the question for every believer in this room is this. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you really honestly believe that you have been loved, you have been called, and that you are being transformed? Do you really believe that about yourself? Because the foundational factor regarding our identity in Christ is not what we've done or what we're going to do for him, but what he has already done for us. The bedrock, the foundation by which you stand on Christ, your identity in him is not based on what you are currently doing for him or what you have done for him or what you're going to do for him, but it is solely based on what he has done for you. Now listen, the difference between a me-centered Christianity and a Christ-centered Christianity is in your willingness to define yourself on the actions God has taken towards you and not on the actions that you're currently taking towards him. So what are those? Well, there are three. Number one, are you ready? First, you're loved. In fact, you are beloved by God. What does that mean? It means that even when you hated him, It means that even when you wanted nothing to do with him, he loved you first. Even when you were unlovable, there was no reciprocation. He loved you first. Even when you despised his people. You remember that time when you despised his church. You ignored his word. You loved your sin. Yet he loved you first without condition. I remember what I was like before I came to Jesus. Now, some of you might say, wait, I know you. You were born and raised in church, right? I want you to know being born and raised in church has nothing to do with knowing Christ. You see, I was born and raised in church, and yes, I had a great mom and a great dad who loved the Lord, but 
I had such a craving for the things of this world. And that craving caused me to ignore God. I was too busy loving and pursuing those things that gratified my flesh, but grieved his heart. Even then, even when I was unlovable, and some would say hypocritical, he loved me. And I must never forget, as long as I serve the Lord, no matter what I accomplish for him, I must never forget it's not about what I've done for him, but that he has called me his beloved even before I loved him. Secondly, you're not only loved, but you're called. You're called. I want you to get this. Logically, logically, it's not truly a relationship unless there's reciprocation, right? Right, it's not. You, you can love somebody, but if they don't love you back, that's not a relationship, or it may be a kind of relationship, but it's not a loving relationship. Are you with me? Logically, unless you love back, it is not a relationship. So Paul tells the church, not only did God love you first, but he pursued you. Not only did he love you first, but he wooed you and drew you to himself. You see, by his spirit, over time, God softened your hard heart and he opened your closed eyes to see what you could not have seen before. And you've seen his love. Did you know that is what it means to be called? Calling is not your ministry. You know, biblically, uh, uh, we are a little illiterate in the church when we talk about calling. Now, I'm not mad at it. Don't get me wrong. Hey, what are you called to do? It's like your assignment. Like, what does God have next for you to do? And I'm not mad at that. I'm not super dogmatic about that. But biblically, calling has nothing to do with you going into ministry or you being assigned to accomplish something. Calling is God drawing you to himself. It's not a ministry opportunity, but it's God. Are you ready? Drawing us to himself, opening our eyes to see, and it's God saving us. I'll never forget when this happened to me. I was broken. I was hurt. I had tried so many other things, but nothing was really satisfying me. And this is, I think this is really crazy about this. <laughs> think about that. I was broken, I was hurt, and I was trying so many other things, but nothing was satisfying me. Like, this is crazy. Are you ready? God loves us patiently. I want you to listen to this. God has no problem with being the last lover in line while he's pursuing you. In fact, and let me explain what I mean by that. In fact, sometimes we can be so hard-headed that we'll get broken by everything else before we try God. Right? Isn't he like the last option? Right? But you know, God has no problem when he's wooing you and pursuing you, being the last lover in line. And I remember that day. I remember being in a room alone. I remember I had tried everything and nothing had really satisfied. 
I remember being drawn to the scriptures. Still have the Bible that I read that day in a room. I wasn't even at my house. I was just at another room alone. I remember being drawn to the scriptures. I remember opening up the scriptures, and I remember three things happening to me. Number one, my eyes were opened. What do I mean by that? Yeah, my eyes were open. They got to be open. But my spiritual eyes were opened. And you know the second thing that happened? I I began to become broken over my sin. Broken over my sin. Right? There's a certain humility that has to hit you before you can embrace the gospel. Right? Nobody likes to be told they're wrong. Nobody likes to be nitpicked. Nobody likes to be told this or that about themselves, but there's something about when your eyes are opened and you begin to read that one thing that you used to be so angry about and you look at it, and for some reason it's just hitting you a little differently. See, my eyes were opened, and I became extremely broken about my sin. The thing that I used to celebrate, I was now breaking over. And I was asking myself, what's happening to me? And you know what else happened? I began to be amazed by his love. I begin to say to myself, wait a minute. Not only are my eyes being opened, now now, not only am I looking at the thing that I used to celebrate and I'm broken over it, but then I'm realizing you still loved me while I celebrated something that was so against you. People ask me, Philip, when did you get saved? Right? You ever get asked that? When did you get saved? You know, I've always been so uh envious over people and tell you it was Friday, June 22nd at 10.05 p.m. I was sitting at this pastor said this word. I wanted nothing to do with the church. I was there. I used to be like, oh, you remember? That's my birthday, my spiritual birthday, and I celebrate it. And I used to get so jealous and envious about that. Some of you are in here. You know the exact moment. But as a kid who was born and raised in church, baptized at 12, (laughs) I could never give you a confident answer. Oh, I, I, I mean, I love you. I was just kind of born into this thing. But you know what's crazy? It literally just happened this week. If you would have asked me this a week ago, I still would have felt a little angst inside of me. But I was going through Romans. I was so blessed by this. I know now. It was that night. Not when I was three, because my parents made me go to church. I was that kid that went to church. Like, you know my parents, most of you, Right? Like eight days a week, if that's possible, 20, 25 hours a day, right? I got my best friend here. He knows. Like, we were always at church. Let's go play basketball. I'm going to go to church. But I remember just reading this and just kind of really digging deeper into what Paul is saying. And I said, man, I know. It was that night in my 20s, alone, broken in a room where my eyes were opened. I was broken over my sin and the love of God was drawing me in. And there was two things that happened. I celebrated and I got a little upset. I was like, wait a minute, have I not been saved prior to this? I'm not going to think about that. (laughs) But I realized that was when I embraced the gospel. That was when I knew God had been pursuing me, had been wooing me. And now the spirit was drawing me in and I was being called. Now, whenever I'm tempted to think that I had some part to play, (laughs) whenever I'm tempted to boast about my work, I think about that night when God wooed me to himself. There was nothing I could do about it. 
Or whenever I'm down and feeling insecure about my salvation, you ever feel insecure about your salvation? You ever feel like you have a very a lack of confidence? I'm just not sure, God. I did this wrong today. I've fallen in this hole. You ever had that insecurity? You're uncertain about your soul. Then I begin to realize. I remember that night. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. He drew me in. He opened my eyes. He broke me over my sin. And it humbles me when I'm prideful. And it picks me up when I'm insecure. You see, we're loved. We're called. And then finally, Paul says, you're saints. Some of you feel like ain'ts. (laughs) Philip, I'm more of an ain't than I'm a saint. (laughs) Did you know that if you're a follower of Christ, you're a saint? Like right now, you're a saint. Now, I know it's hard to imagine because many of us look at sainthood like the Hall of Fame. What do I mean by that? Well, in the Hall of Fame, you got to accomplish something great. And you, know, you got to break some kind of record, right? you got to be exceptionally good over a long period of time. And then you can't even get in until you retire. And then you got to get voted in. To most of us, sainthood is like the Hall of Fame, right? Like that's for Mother Teresa, right? That's for those people that died a long time ago and did something exceptionally amazing. Over the, It's like they're perfect. I'm not. But that's actually not what Paul is saying here. Paul says every member of the body of Christ is a saint. Why? Why? Because your sainthood is not predicated on what you have done to earn it but on what Christ has done to give it to you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Do you know God has a goal for your life? That feels good, huh? But did you know it's not what you think? (laughs) It doesn't feel too good. And it's not even what you wish it would be. You see, happiness is not the goal of Christianity. Easy living is not the goal of Christianity. God's goal for your life is holiness. That's what it means to be a saint. Look at what Paul is doing. By calling you a saint, Paul takes your goal and makes it your current reality. By calling you a saint, Paul takes what you're supposed to be and turns it into who you currently are. It becomes your identity. Why in the world would he want to do that? Well, if you think your core identity is sinner, then when you sin, you'll excuse yourself and say, that's what sinners do. But if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, the old has passed away and all things are being made new. Therefore, as a saint, you'll see the world and see your sin differently because that's not who I am. And so Paul says, Jesus calls you by what you will be now because he's transforming your life. This is why Paul does not address the letter to the sinners at Rome. I think I would address the letter like that, right? To you people at Inspire Church that don't listen and right? That's a joke. 
But Paul doesn't address his letter to a bunch of sinners messed up in Rome, but he says to the saints, to those who are loved, I don't feel loved. To those who are called, I don't feel, I don't feel that call. To those who are saints, I certainly don't feel like a saint. Amen? Three things that if you're a follower of Christ in this room, that you should never forget about yourself and that the enemy will try to attack every day of your life is that God has loved you, God has called you, and God is transforming you. Let's continue to read verse 8. Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you. Remember, Paul's writing a letter. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's just summarize that. Paul thanks God for the church. He prays often that he'd be able to visit them and give them some spiritual gift. He also reveals that he's been trying to get to Rome, but that for some reason he has been prohibited. In fact, I want you to know Paul will never get to Rome. Well, he will get to Rome, but he'll get there in chains and ultimately be killed there. But he'll never get there on his own free will. He'll get there by the will of God, and that'll be in chains. Paul says, I've tried to get there, but I've been prevented. So Paul reasons, if I can't get there, the message of the gospel can This is why he says in verse 15, I long, I am eager to share the gospel with you. And if I can't go, the gospel will go ahead because that is far greater than me. Let's continue. Verse 16 and 17, Paul says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We're going to stop there, and we're going to cruise the rest of our time in these last two verses. Any college students in the room? All right. I understand our demographic. (laughs) If Paul's letter is a research report, then these two verses are its thesis statement. 
every chapter and every verse going forward will only serve to deeper explain what Paul just said. Now, I want you to notice in these two verses, the word for, F-O-R, is mentioned three times. Well, actually four times, but three times and can be translated because. So in these two verses, you'll see F-O-R in the Greek for mentioned three times. And each time you can translate for into because. Are you with me? Now watch. Here we go. Why is Paul so eager to preach the gospel? So in verse 15, he says, I'm eager to come to you and preach the gospel. Why is Paul so eager to preach the gospel to them? Listen, verse 16, because he's not ashamed of it. Now watch. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Verse 16 says, because it's the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Now watch. Why is it the power of God for salvation? Verse 17, because it is In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. He says, I'm eager to preach it because I'm not ashamed of it. And I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God for salvation. And he says, and it's the power of God for salvation because in it, it reveals God's righteousness. So for the rest of our time together, I want to look at three things. The gospel of God in shame. The power of God for salvation and the righteousness of God from wrath. Are you ready? I haven't did a seatbelt check in a while. Did you know God's gospel is God's good news, but did you know God's gospel is God's story? It's God's story. Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed to tell the story. Though some have abandoned it, though some have walked away from it, He says, I'm eager to tell it everywhere that I go. Now, hear me out. If the gospel is such great news, then why would Paul connect shame to it? (laughs) Why would he say, I'm not ashamed of this great news? If it's so good, then why would somebody have the need to be ashamed of it? Well, I'll tell you why somebody may be ashamed of this good news. Maybe it's too costly. Maybe... Actually living it out might cost you too much. Maybe it's too silly. It's not sophisticated enough. It's not intellectual enough. It's not enlightened enough. Maybe it's just too weak. It's a story about a crucified Savior who saves through weakness and suffering. Maybe that's too irrelevant. I got bills to pay. I got mouths to feed. I got comfort to chase. I got a life to live. What can the gospel do to help me with that? Maybe it's too insignificant. I mean, really, look at how many people are truly living it out. I mean, there's nobody at work living it out. There's nobody at school living it out. There's nobody in my family living it out. Right? Sometimes being in the minority can be a little shameful. How about this? Maybe it's too embarrassing. If your God is so good, have you ever heard this? 
if your God is so good and if your gospel is so great, why are you struggling? Have you ever heard the enemy speak that to your life? Have you ever heard somebody else say that to you and you walked home in shame of this gospel? Maybe you're too embarrassed because this gospel isn't working for me. Or how about this? Maybe it's too offensive. Maybe it's too offensive, and so i got to hide this gospel because it could upset people. Here's the challenge. Are you ready? Maybe I'm not eager to tell the story because there's something about the story I'm ashamed of. My prayer is that Inspire would multiply disciples not ashamed to tell the story. And if you're not a Christian in here, this isn't for you. But if you are a Christian, this one's for you. So I'm gonna, basically it means you're going to get punched. If you are a Christian, let me just say this. When's the last time you shared the story? When's the last time you told the story? What are you living for if you're not telling the story? What are you living for? No wonder why life seems dull. No wonder why you just need to continue to do other things and figure it out. And I'm kind of getting to this age, so I need to do this and that to feel better about myself. Well, your identity is in the wrong things. Like, man, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, you're a disciple of Christ, and you're not telling the story, what are you, what are you waiting for? And here's a positive thing to think through, and we'll talk about this in Connects this week. What, 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 what's the shame connected to it? And that's okay. We, we live in a, we li- we, I want to make a church that comes together and talks it through. I want you to know we've all been ashamed. I've been ashamed. Uh, you know, I've been ashamed. I remember I was a youth pastor for 10 years. People are like, what do you do? <clears throat> um, you know, I'm like a nonprofit. Uh, <laughs> I work with kids, you know, in, in rough neighborhoods. You know, I, and I spent time with them and build them up into leaders. <laughs> wow, that's amazing, man. I wish I was like you. Yeah, I'm a youth pastor. I'm out, man. <laughs> I'm a youth pastor, right? I mean, uh, what do you do? I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a church planter. I, you know what? I'm an entrepreneur. I, I'm a startup. You know, three years ago, we started this thing from ground up, you know, right here in the Silicon Valley. In fact, we meet in the Silicon Valley Hotel. That's amazing. <laughs> What is it that you do? Uh, pastor, I'm pastor. Pastor. Okay. Right? Maybe I'm not eager to tell the story because maybe there's something about the story I'm still ashamed of. My prayer is that we would multiply disciples, not ashamed to tell the story, like Paul. <laughs> and just in case you thought Paul had it easy, can I just say a couple of things about Paul? Are you ready? In the midst of the Greeks... In a culture that was called the university of the world, surrounded by philosophers and deep thinkers, Paul was unashamed to tell the gospel. Oh, that didn't impress you. Maybe this will impress you. In the midst of Rome, in a culture that worshiped might and power, in a culture that dominated and conquered the world, Paul was unashamed to tell the story of the gospel. 
In the midst of Israel, a culture of religiosity and moralism, a culture that had prided themselves off of keeping every single commandment of the 613 that God had given, Paul was unashamed to tell the story of the gospel. Why? Paul says, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You know what Paul says? He'll say, God chose the weak things of this world to confound the wise. He says, Paul says, where's the scoffer? Where is the debater of this age? God chose the foolish things of this world. (laughs) Which means to those who are not being saved, Paul says, the gospel is silly. Unintellectual. But to those who are being saved, he says, it's the power of God unto salvation. Wow. That brings us to the next point, the power of God for salvation. I want to answer three quick questions about this. Number one, what does God's power do? (laughs) He says, I'm eager to share the gospel because I'm not ashamed of it. Because it's the power of God for salvation, right? He says it right there. So what does God's power do? It saves. God's power saves. It has the power to do what no man can do. Politics can't do it. And I know there's some Republicans and Democrats in this room. The way you carry yourself is if your political Messiah is here. But I, I want to let you know that politics cannot save you or America. Science can't do it. Education can't do it. Medicine can't even do it. You could have all the money in the world, all the resources in the world, know all the people in the world with all the power in the world, but none of that can cure man's most fatal ailment. None of it can save your soul. None of it. None of it. So what does God's power do? It saves. Secondly, If you're like me, but what do I need to be saved from? What do I need to be saved from? And this might shock some of you in here. If I were to ask you, what are you saved from? If you're a Christian in this room, say, yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved, girl. Sanctified. Are you saved? Because I'm saved. Right? You get the salvation, right? You saved? I'm saved. So here's the question. What What are you saved from? What are you saved from? And again, this might shock you, but we don't need to be saved from ourselves. That's why it was a rhetorical question. (laughs) We don't need to be saved from our past. We don't need to be saved from our pain. You know that we don't even need to be saved from the devil. So what do we need to be saved from? Do you want to know what man's greatest issue is? <laughs> you know how we think like there's a looming disaster coming, right? Climate change. I don't know where you stand on that. But there's this idea that, man, something is coming. You know, maybe it's another comet or I don't know what, you know, the sun is going to burn out or we're going to need to go to another, another planet. The resources are going. And some I'm not saying don't be... We should be environmentalists, right? God created, he's creator. We should care about his environment. But you want to know what our greatest problem is? What, our, what The coming thing that is most detrimental to us is 
Here it is. What are you being saved from? You need to be saved from the wrath of God. Did that shock you? The wrath of God. We don't like that, some of us, right? Some of us knew it. Some of us like, oh, we don't like that. That doesn't feel good about Christianity. Paul is saying the biggest thing that you need to be saved from is the wrath of God. So finally, Paul says, no, who can be saved? Now watch, I love this. If Paul only said it's the power of God for salvation to everyone, we would all be universalists in this room, right? Everyone would go to heaven, like regardless of what they believe. But Paul adds one significant condition. He says, it's the power of God unto salvation to all who what? Believe. By saying everyone, Paul's not discriminating. There's no age, sex, race, or class that the gospel does not have the power to save. But by saying to everyone who believes, Paul is limiting salvation only to those who put their trust in Jesus. There's no other way. Listen, ready? You can hear the gospel. You can grasp the gospel with your mind and you can even agree with the gospel, but it doesn't mean that you trust it. You can hear the gospel. You can grasp the gospel with your mind. And you can even agree with the gospel, but it does not mean that you are trusting in the gospel. Now, I want to finish this morning by telling you why this gospel is so powerful. The final why, the final because. Paul says, because in that gospel, God's righteousness is revealed from faith. I'm going to finish by explaining this. If God is good, and if you are not, amen? Now, if you're honest in here, you're like, I'm not good. If God is good, and if we are not, are you ready for this? Then how can he call us good and not be a liar? Right? So let me, let me explain this. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why are you not ashamed of it? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. He says, okay, why is it the power of God? Because in it, in it, it reveals the righteousness of God, which means God's righteousness means God's rightness. God is always right. So if God is good, if God is just, if God is always right, then it would be contrary to his nature to let us guilty sinners off the hook. Do you get that? If God is good, if God is just, if he's always right, if that's what his nature is and that's what scripture says about him, then God would be hypocritical to let people who are sinners and those who are not good off the hook. This is very bad news because if God is good and if God is right and if God is just, you and I are doomed, doomed doomed. What would we call a judge who always lets criminals off the hook? We'd call him corrupt. We wouldn't call him just. This is terrible news. But wait, the righteousness of God does not just refer to God's own righteousness, but it also refers to God's desire to give his righteousness away. Wait, but how can he do that? How can he do that and still be just? How can he do that and still be right? 
How could he do that and not contradict his nature? Logically, I'm following, but I'm not seeing the next step. Listen, we cannot be made right on our own. We can't do it. So God sends Jesus. Sin cannot go unpunished. So God punishes Jesus. It's only by the cross of Christ that we can see God's righteousness in condemning sinners and God's righteousness in making sinners right. This is what Paul calls justification. You ever heard of that word? Justification. It's a theological word, being justified. What does it mean by justified? That is a legal term, which means that you are justified. Instantaneously, the judge declares you not guilty. He's justifying. But how can he justify me? To those who believe. Hear this out. You ready? And we're finished here. In Christ, we are punished. See that? In Christ, we are punished. In Christ, we are made right. In Christ, that horrible event on the cross becomes a beautiful event to those who are being saved. In Christ, that event that is foolishness to the world becomes beauty to the Christian. In Christ, we are punished. In Christ, we are made right. In Christ, that horrible event is made beautiful. In Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. In that, he can save you, give you his righteousness, and still be all good, all just, and all right. He didn't break one rule. And like every good research report, Paul not only states his thesis clearly, but he finishes with a bibliography. I hate bibliography. He says, and just in case you thought I was making this up, it's written in the Old Testament too. And then he goes on to quote an Old Testament prophet by the name of Habakkuk, and he says this, the righteous. He says, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's even in your Old Testament. And rest of Romans, Paul will always go back to the Old Testament, proving that this is nothing new. This is not a new religion. Jesus didn't come to start nothing new. He came to finish something very old. I'm going to pray for you. Paul quotes an Old Testament prophet in a time when Israel have been taken into captivity as judgment for their disobedience. So the prophet is questioning the Lord. God, will you allow the good to be judged alongside of the bad? And God says, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, what God is telling the prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament is this. Those who put their faith in me, those who put their hope in me, those who put their trust in my word, they'll be safe. But those who trust in their own strength, those who trust in their own righteousness, they'll be destroyed. God answered the Old Testament prophet's question with the gospel. God answered the Old Testament prophet's question with the gospel. So what I want to do this morning is this. I want to pray. I'm going to pray for all of us in this room. I'm going to do two things. I want to pray for you right now. And then I want to pray for our connects that we would be able to take what's said here because there's a lot said. 
and that we'd be able to break it down in such ways in small communities that we would allow, we would be able to grasp this gospel and we'd be able to tell the story. Tell the story to others, but also continually what? Tell the story to ourselves because it's only by the gospel that we are saved and sanctified. Heavenly Father, you're worthy. You're worthy. Jesus, you get all the glory. I pray for everyone in this room right now. I pray for Christians that need to be saved and don't even know it because they have been in a brand of Christianity that hasn't embraced the gospel. I pray right now that we would get saved all over again because we have put our faith in this gospel. I pray if there's anyone right now in this room that feels millions of miles away from God, I pray right now that they would understand that God is pursuing them. He has loved them even while they hated him. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes to see the beauty of the gospel, that they would repent of their sins and believe in Christ Jesus. Lord, we respond to you like the song today that was sung. We respond to your love. You are the great initiator. All we can do is respond. So I pray this week, everything we do, even attending connects, would just be a response. It wouldn't be a to-do list, an obligation, but it would just be a response to the beauty of your word. So Lord, we love you. I pray for our connects this week. that you would open our eyes, open the facilitator's eyes, the leader's eyes, those that attend to truly know what it means to be saved by grace, by faith alone. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you this week. We'll see you on Sunday. Have a wonderful Sunday, guys. Go Niners. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.